It's 10 o'clock on WDBX Carbondale. Time for another edition of... Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. On Okay, Boomer today, good news from the Inflation Reduction Act. Inflation's a big thing right now. People are having to choose between drugs and groceries. Jill Graskowitz from Club 60 in Marion will report that both the cost of Medicare plans and Medicare drug prices will be decreasing over the next few years. And we have heard about nursing home workers brutalizing patients. But what about the patients brutalizing the nursing home workers? Now, I would assume some of these people have gotten violent. Well, of course. (laughs) They beat the hell out of us. That was a former nursing assistant at a local nursing home. We distorted her voice for obvious reasons and we'll hear from her and her boss in a few minutes. Then there is the magic of Southern Illinois. Then they came and they didn't want to leave the area. I talked to a lot of my friends are that way. Kay Ripplemeyer, Southern Illinois Learning and Retirement, talking about the region and the SIU Seniors Program. And now, the news. The Omicron vaccine booster has sharply reduced hospitalizations among older patients. This according to Israeli researchers. The COVID-19 booster was developed by Pfizer Incorporated and BioNTech. However, it found an 81% reduction in hospitalizations among people aged 65 and older who have received the booster against those who had previously received at least two COVID vaccinations, but not the Omicron-adapted shot. The study looked at 623,000 people aged 65 and over who were eligible for the bivalent booster. Among them, more than 85,000 or 14 percent had received it. Researchers say that the 86 percent drop in mortality was statistically borderline because of the relatively low death rates in the country, but it was nonetheless significant. This from AARP. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration on January 6th granted accelerated approval to Lecambi, a drug that in initial clinical trials slowed the rate of cognitive decline in patients in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. The medication that's given by IV every two weeks is the second of its kind to get the green light from federal regulators. Unlike most other medications approved for the disease that affects more than 6.5 million Americans. Lecambi goes after the underlying pathology of Alzheimer's, not just the symptoms. Now, a similar drug called Aduhelm received accelerated approval in 2021. This fast-track process allows medications for serious conditions to come to market more quickly based on promising data, though additional studies are required to confirm the anticipated benefit. This according to the FDA. Now, the specific causes of Alzheimer's are unknown, but the disease is marked by changes in the brain, one of them being the accumulation of sticky clumps of protein known as amyloid plaques. These plaques disrupt brain cell function and affect a person's ability to remember and think, and a leading hypothesis among researchers is that clearing them will slow the progression of the disease. Well, some of the biggest changes in Medicare in years takes effect in 2023, with more than 65 million Americans paying lower premiums and deductibles and are about to feel the effects of landmark legislation designed to bring down the runaway cost of prescription drugs. 
Joe Graskowitz of Club 60 in Marion has the details. I have good news in that both this year and for the upcoming years, you are going to see some decreases in prices uh, for the future for both plans and medicine. So just to give you a recap, the implementation timeline of the prescription drug provisions that are a part of the Inflation Reduction Act, we've, we've heard a lot of this talk about um, on TV with the politicians, but this is how it's going to affect us at the bottom level. So this year, we are requiring drug companies to pay rebates if drug prices rise faster than inflation. Inflation's a big thing right now. People are having to choose between drugs and groceries. Part D also limits insulin co-pays to $35 a month. I understand it was a lot more expensive last year. Yes, so people had to go and find different ways to do insulin. If you go to certain retailers, it might be cheaper or it might have been cheaper to buy insulin over the counter with no insurance than it was to run it through with insurance. So now the highest a person needs to pay would be $35. That is correct. Unless you try running the, in, running the insulin without any insurance with it, then it might be even cheaper. It, it's a um, it's a game. You try to find the loopholes, unfortunately. But we're trying, or, or Congress is trying to um, make that better for us. So also in 2023, they are going to uh, reduce the costs and improve the coverage of adult vaccines. So we have the um, shingles vaccine, which is now free. That used to be like $200 in previous years. I uh, had the shingles vaccine several years ago, and I don't think I paid much for it, but that was also under Medicare. That is correct. This is all under Medicare, but now shingles is completely free for everyone who has Medicare and Medicare Part D. You also have uh, the COVID vaccinations, the flu vaccinations, uh, pneumonia. So all of these are going to be free now. So that's a a big out-of-pocket that we're gonna save one time a year each time we get these vaccinations. So next year, things are gonna brighten up a little bit more. They're going to uh, eliminate 5% of the co-insurance for Part D for catastrophic coverage. I also hear that the price of Medicare Part D is going to start to go down just a smidge. And so hopefully the decrease in Medicare Part D, along with an increase in Social Security, will help with the inflation every little bit, every little penny counts here. In 2024, they're also going to expand eligibility of Part D for low-income subsidy with full benefits up to 150% above poverty level. In 2025, this is a big year. They're going to add a $2,000 out-of-pocket cap for Part D and other drug benefit changes. So once you pay the $2,000, you're capped and you should receive your medication um, copay free after that. So no more out-of-pocket. And then from 2026 until 2029, um, you're going to see 
negotiated prices for certain uh, high cost medications. So in 2026, they're going to negotiate uh, 10 Medicare Part D drugs. In 2027, they're gonna add 15 more. In 2028, they're gonna add 15 more, uh, not only Part B, but also Part D drugs. And then in 2029, they're gonna add an additional 20 Medicare Part B and Part D drugs. So ultimately, what does that mean for me, the taxpayer? That means that I'm going to be saving a little bit of money each year as time goes on between this year and 2029. That's Jill Graskwitz of Club 60 in Marion. While the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act provides the IRS with a large expansion of future funding to beef up audits of the rich, last year IRS revenue agents were only able to audit a small number of millionaire returns. Indeed, during the last fiscal year, the odds a millionaire was audited by an IRS revenue agent was just, listen to this, 1.1%. So, one out of every 100 millionaires was audited. In place of face-to-face audits, IRS has increasingly relied on automated letters through the mail asking for more documentation on a specific item. In 2022, 85% of what IRS counts as audits of 1040 returns were these letters. That's true even for millionaires. Indeed, last year, about half a millionaire audits consisted of these simple letter inquiries. So, all things considered, the odds of millionaires receiving some attention by the IRS rose by 2.8%. Yet this left somewhat under 700,000 millionaires, taxpayers reporting a million or more in total positive income, with absolutely no scrutiny whatsoever. This next word is defined as having or showing an accurate and deep understanding. The word I'm talking about is insightfulness and might play a critical role in the ability to assess the accuracy of information. New research published in the journal Thinking and Reasoning found that people with greater insight-based problem-solving skills were less likely to fall for fake news. The authors of the new research sought to better understand the cognitive mechanisms associated with believing in misinformation. They were particularly interested in the role of insight-based problem-solving. Carola Salvi, a neuroscientist, headed the study. Salvi says, We investigated the relationship between insightfulness and aspects of social reasoning, such as believing in fake news, overclaiming, and bullshit. Well, you know the word. The participants were presented with 20 news items consisting of a headline, a thumblight image, and a preview text, and were asked if they were familiar with the article, how accurate they believed the article was, and if they could share the article on social media. Half of the news items were fake. In addition, the researchers administered a test of the tendency to believe Soto Profound Balloon. The participants were shown randomly generating meaningless statements such as, infinity is a reflection of reality, and asked to rate how deep was their knowledge or thought. Those who scored higher on the measure of insightfulness tended to be able to identify fake news and differentiate meaningful statements from pseudo-profound bull. Importantly, the findings held even after accounting for cognitive reflectiveness, meaning the tendency to think critically about a problem rather than going with your gut. Greater insightfulness was also associated with reduced overclaiming. 
In other words, those who scored higher on the test were less likely to claim to be familiar with people, events, and topics that had been made up by the researchers. So much for that. Here's a question. What's one exercise habit seniors can start in the new year to become more active? Joy Fletcher, in her 30-plus years as a fitness expert, has the answer. The answer is working on your mindset. Not your exercise set, but your mindset. Over her career, Joy has watched many well-intentioned exercisers sabotage their own efforts. Most commonly, they were trying to satisfy someone else's expectations. They started an exercise program but didn't really believe that they would keep it up. They didn't pick a goal that truly mattered to them or they were afraid to trust themselves to succeed. These negative mindsets take all the fun out of exercising and make it impossible to stay motivated. So, how do you switch to a positive mindset? First, think of your final goal. What do you really want to happen? Do you want to have stronger legs, stronger arms, better balance, run a 5K, scuba dive, or go hiking with the grandchildren, or just carrying the groceries by yourself? Think it out so you can take the steps to make it happen. Ask for help, guidance, or do some research of your own. Fill your thoughts with the final success, and when you reach your goal, be ready to set a new one and keep going until you find your final destiny. Speaking of which, public health experts are keeping a close eye on a new coronavirus strain that's quickly taking over. It's known as XBB 1.5, and the latest data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows the Omicron subvariant is behind an estimated 30% of COVID-19 cases in the U.S., up from 4% a few weeks ago. In the Northeast, it's causing about 70% of infections. Here's what we know so far about XBB 1.5 and the impact it could have this winter. It's more transmissible. The spinoff spreads quickly and easily from person to person. And in many areas of the country, it's outcompeting other prominent Omicron strains. And now we have a special report, but we cannot reveal the name or the positions of the two people that we interviewed. As a matter of fact, we needed to distort their voices, slow them down. But these two people worked in healthcare, they worked in a nursing home, and they have this to say about what happens sometimes. So we're two former CNAs that have worked with Alzheimer's and dementia patients, and boy, have we seen it all. So with dementia, a lot of the times, sexual behaviors manifest, and they may not be normal to that person, but they increase over time, and it can either be taken with offense or it can be taken lightheartedly so it doesn't hurt that uh, patient or resident or family member's feelings. When I first heard about this, I was flabbergasted because I'm 70 years old and I wouldn't think of doing anything like what somebody did to you. Yes, as a CNA, you get so close to these people and if they don't have family or anything and you're being the politest and the best that you can to help them in every way you can, then, you know, they're lonely. They think, oh, she's being nice to me. So I'll try to give her a little pat on the rump. 
How many times have you gotten patted on the rump? I cannot even count how many times um, or any sexual talk towards me as I am either showering them, putting them to bed, or cleaning them up. Um, we have um, had people that have lived in their own room by themselves and they continuously pull their alarm because they want your attention and then once you get in there the attention is come over and sit down over here on my new couch and I'll sit by you do you care if I hold your hand for a little while so those little experiences are the manifest of the sexuality because they still have their sexuality and I also noticed at another place you have worked at where there were a lot of senior citizens where you had the same problem and some of these people did not have dementia? No, they do not have dementia where we are at the seniors. Um, they are just normal over 60 people that still have that ump in them that if you be nice to them, they think you're being a little overly nice. Yes, I've had a couple people do that to me at this job. And we will not reveal where this job is. Now, uh-oh, uh we have another comment. Yeah, your typical dirty old man that we all think of, but there's a difference between a dirty old man with those perverted thoughts and someone with dementia um, the dirty old man will eventually stop. The dementia patient will not. Um, and I was going to tell you, do you remember that time that you walked in the room and um, one of our gentlemen was um, pleasuring himself and you would think, oh, they're going to get embarrassed. But no, he just kept on and he wanted you to see it. And let me tell you, we have seen every single resident, especially the males, really think that they have something to show. They'll whip those covers back and go, check out this lady. Have you ever seen anything like this? How do you respond to that display? Um, I just say, you know, maybe, maybe not. Let's get you cleaned up and let's get you in bed and cover that thing up because I want to see it again. Firm but friendly. Yes, firm but friendly. Like I said, you know, the friendlier are, the more they have that connect with you. So you do have to put a limit. Like she was saying, he was pleasuring himself. We were changing him. All we would say is, could you please do that on your own time when we leave the room, sir? Now, I would assume some of these people have gotten violent. Oh, of course. <laughs> they beat the hell out of us. Really? You, you had men and women who were punching you? Yes. Punching, biting, pinching, kicking, um, grabbing parts that would hurt you, 
Uh, yeah, very violent, very violent. I actually have been man-punched in the face by a gentleman that was about seven foot three, about 285 pounds, and I was alone then. And literally he said, I'm getting ready to show you, woman, what a man punch is. I said, go ahead. It's all right. And he did. But then I had to take control of him. So you kind of have to do what you got to do then. Wait a minute. He was so big. What are you, about five foot five? Five three. You're five three. You probably weigh 120 pounds. Um and this guy is seven feet tall, and he punches you. I would have thought he would have knocked you through a wall. Well, I step back quite a bit, but see, that's when it comes into being. I was your CNA, and now I'm your CNA, and you're going to listen to me, and I have to get some control because the first punch, there's going to be more. So I'm going to have to do whatever it takes to convince him to stop what he's doing. But are you were you physically capable of restraining him or stopping him? Yes, I was. Actually, in the midst, he was so confused because he had really just been there and kind of dropped off. I had him call his son, sit down in a chair, have his son start talking to him. I locked my building down. I went up there to the other building, and I got what we call a hoarder. So once he was sitting there, and he stood up, I said, would you sit back down? And then I put him up. I lifted him up with a hoarder, pumped him up, and rolled him into his room, and let him down on his bed, and he went to sleep. That's incredible. I, I would think with somebody that size with that type of violence, you would have been at a real disadvantage, but you took, uh, you took advantage of him, actually. Well, you know, you got to protect yourself, too, but you've got to protect your residents and, you know, your seniors. But, I mean, you can't let them do it to you all the time because they will take advantage of that. So unless they know that you have a great side to you and a bad side to you, we can communicate even with dementia. Oh, no, no her. I, I, I gotta slow down and stop because she's not gonna put up with it. So we can go one way, we can go other. And, and what I've noticed also in this discussion, you are sincerely interested in the welfare of the patient. Oh, absolutely. You're talking about people that are dropped off at our, at our door, literally, with nothing. And we bring them in, and they, we make them a room, and we are their family now. They don't get phone calls. They don't get nothing. That is why it is, it is, you have to have that compassion there. Even though it's tough, you still got to have compassion for these people. It's not their fault. Not their fault. Now, you ran one of these nursing homes, did you not? I did. 
And there's a boundary there, but the boundaries are very blurred because when somebody comes into these facilities um, or long-term care facilities, you are their family member, you see them every day, you're their friend, you're their best friend, you're their caregiver, you're giving them a bath, you're getting up close and personal with them. I mean, how many times have lately have you taken a shower with someone, Robert? Not uh, for a while. Okay. So if you had dementia and you suddenly have a nice young girl in the room and you're you're naked in the shower and you know it's been a while mm-hmm. um there are some some things that every human needs and it's it's a basic need one is human touch and when people are isolated and at home alone um in older age they lose this and when you have dementia that that boundary line is so blurred you know it's no longer there and i'm gonna get what i what i need and you're there and the opportunity's there so that's why you have to have the special training with all of the caregivers and we cross trained everybody if you were a caregiver you could also work in the kitchen um if you worked in the kitchen you were also a caregiver because it takes a true team um whether it's a large facility of 100 to 200 people or a small facility of 10 to 20 everybody has to work together because you are all left with the same people every single day Now, looking at it from the dark side, I've heard of reports, particularly at a mental hospital in the area, where caregivers were um, beating up the patients, uh, and worse. Uh, Have you seen something like that, particularly as an administrator? I have not seen it in one of my buildings that I ran. We were very, um, I would say, rigorous and um, we didn't take too kindly to someone who even remotely posed um, a threat or exhibited any type of violence. Um, There was one time when I was called in the middle of the night because somebody um, who was also a CNA had fallen asleep. And that means there's no one caring for these people. Anything could happen. Someone could fall. Someone could run away. Someone could break a window. Um, a fire could could start. So what did I do? I, I came. And I fired this person and I finished the shift. You're not going to find that a lot of times. I didn't have to do it often. Thank goodness. But with the pay wages for CNAs and these caregivers being low, it's hard to find someone who's going to be dedicated and educated 
and compassionate and empathetic enough to do the right thing in every situation. So it goes both ways, doesn't it? There have been reports of people working in nursing homes brutalizing the patients, and now we've heard a report about some of the patients brutalizing the staff. Cup of Joe with Robert. And a cup of tea with Carrie. And as promised, it is time for our slideshow of my Christmas vacation. And this is... Mammoth Cave New Entrance Tour. That's right. It's in a big hole and everyone climbs down the stairs as you see. I know. And they all look so, um, well... Grim. Because they're going through that door, they don't know if they'll ever come back. Lindsay and me sharing a private moment. (laughs) I just want the listening audience to know that it was purely a dark cave. There was no Lindsay Lohan. How do you know it was dark? Fantastic shot of a bat. It's a close-up, everybody. And, oh, my God, what an evil-looking face. It's taken off a wall. That's me, incidentally, and that's the ranger telling me not to mess around with the bats. He looks like a ranger. Okay, this is historic diamond cavern. Beautiful bird. It is a beautiful bird. And and, and this is the entrance to the cave. Next to the garbage can. What do people puke when they come out? No, they puke before they go in. And uh, that's George the Kangaroo. Oh, and you're so much bigger than George, and you have a bald spot. Okay, that's Hoss. He's the guy who gave me the uh, tour of the Kentucky Down. I wouldn't have gone down there with him. Uh, What the heck did you do? Knock off part of a static night? I I walked into it. Tight? Yeah, that was an accident. Out. Anyway, Hoss was showing me through the cave. There's me pondering, thinking deep thoughts, looking into the pool of water. It is. It's amazing. There's ripples. There's a ripple. There's a pool, yeah, yeah. That is so bizarre looking. It is bizarre. Now, this is the American Cave Museum in Hidden River Cave. So okay. that went all over in, in uh, Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so much better. Oh, you bumped your head again. Well, I, the guy said, watch the birdie as I was walking, and he flashed and <laughs> Have that with your cup of Joe. <laughs> and your cup of tea. I'm Robert Rickman. And I'm Carrie Boylan. All right. Let's get up. Oh, it always hurts. And go for a cup of coffee. It's the OK Boomer Coffee Break. Let's walk to the coffee machine where we will talk about Perry Como. Yes, he was more our parents' type of singer than, say, Michael Jackson. But as we kids used to hear him on Mom's clock radio periodically. And Boomer Roger Davis likes him, too. As you remember, Roger Davis looked just like the 1960s cartoon character Roger Ramjet. Como was back with the second of four on my favorites list, 
As was the case with the previous entry, Perry is singing with the Mitchell Ayers Orchestra with background vocals from the Ray Charles Singers. The song was written by Joe Shapiro and Lou Stallman. The song was a number one song on the pop chart and stayed on the chart for 29 weeks. Here's Perry Como, Round and Round. Find a wheel and it goes round, round, round As it skims along with the happy sound As it goes along the ground, ground, ground Till it leads you to the one you love Then your love will hold you round, round, round In your heart's a song with a brand new sound And your head Go spinning round, round, round Cause you found what you've been dreaming of In the night you see the oval moon Going round and round in tune And the ball of sun in the day Makes a girl and boy wanna say Find the ring And put it round, round, round And with ties so strong Hearts are bound, put it on The one you found, found, found For you know that this is really love Find a weed And it goes round, round, round As it skims along With a happy sound as it goes Along the ground, ground, ground Till it leads you to the one you love Then your love You hold around, round, round In your heart's a song With a brand new sound And your head Go spinning round, round, round Cause you found what you've been dreaming of In the night you see the oval moon Going round and round in two And the ball of sun in the day Makes a girl and boy wanna say Find the ring and put it round, round, round And with ties so strong, your two hearts are bound Put it on, the one you found, found, found For you know that this is really love Find the ring, put it on For you know that this is really love, really love This is OK Boomer on WDBX. I'm Robert Rickman, your host, the head Boomer. OK Boomer. That's right, kid. Here's a question you probably have been pondering for weeks. What is the biggest selling soup in America? Hint, it's not tomato soup. And Big Pens were renamed from B-I-T-C. Anyway, Exercise your mind with these brain teasers from Bob and Marsha Smith on the off-ramp. Okay, hey, boomers, here's some fun trivia for you from Bob and Marsha Smith. Bob, 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 what's the best-selling soup in America? The best-selling soup in America is tomato soup. Oh, that's a good guess. No, I bet it's a chicken noodle. It is if you're Campbell's, but the biggest-selling is cream of mushroom. Really? Yep. 80 million cans they sold not too long ago. That's a lot of soup. And I would assume it's because it's in a lot of recipes. Oh, you're probably right. It's an ingredient soup. Yeah. Campbell's Soup, a great American product. This is a great American product, but it wasn't made in America originally. Bic pens came from France. Oh, really? Yeah. So 
Why did the inventor of the big pen rename his creation when he brought it to America and to global markets? It wasn't Bic. It was something else. It was Bic, but he changed something about the pen's name. The well, spelling. The well, spelling. The inventor was Marcel Bic, but it's B-I-C-H. That's how it's spelled. Okay. And he named the product after himself, the Bic pen. But he realized that in America, the French word B-I-C-H. <laughs> would be <laughs> That would be pronounced bitch. Oh, that's, that's what it would have been. Bitch pens. <laughs> and he didn't want that. Oh. So he dropped the H from his name. So bitch pens or B-I-C-H pens became Bic pens. Wow. I really thought that was American. <laughs> Interesting. Could you imagine, though? I do not want my pens to be the bitch pens. <laughs> Let's go back to a very famous thing, the Statue of Liberty. Why could you say there were two women behind the Statue of Liberty? Well, one posed for it. No? Two posed for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the artist used two different models, both family members. Okay. Frederick Auguste Bartholdi's wife spent many hours modeling the arms and torso, the figure of liberty. Uh -huh. But the model for the face was his mother, Charlotte. Oh. oh, see, you can mix it all up. So two women were behind the Statue of Liberty. Did I ever tell you my arm and my face? Fingers were on many of my brother's paintings. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he, he needed parts for one of his models. <laughs> he called me in. Well, wait a minute. I never saw any of your brother's paintings that had any human form. Well, these were the early years. I see. College years. Okay. What kind of animal is a geep? G-E-E-P. G-E-E-P. Well, think about it. Well, a sheep. Yeah, you're half right. a gazelle. I don't know. What is it? It's a hybrid of a sheep and a goat. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so it's called a geep. Yeah, and uh, speaking of hybrids, how about a pisley? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd want to touch that That's one. a hybrid of a grizzly bear and a polar bear. Wow. And they look really weird, too. Grizzly bear and a polar bear. Yeah, a wolfin. A bottlenose dolphin and a killer whale made up, and that's what you get, a wolfin. Jeez, these are actual animals yeah, that have been bred? Yeah, I saw bred? pictures of every one oh of them. Oh, my goodness. A leopon. A leopon? Yeah. That sounds like a place to go. It does. Let's, but uh, it, let's go fishing by the leopon. It's a, <laughs> okay, what? it's a male leopard and a female lion. Wow, where do you get these combinations? Oh, these are interesting. And, and here's one that'll give you shivers. It was attempted by the Soviets in the 1920s. They were trying to develop... Wait for it. A humanzy. Oh, no. Yes. They I, actually bred a human they being. They tried a, to. A uh, chimpanzee and a human. Uh, and it didn't work as far as we know. Oh, dear. Uh, you should have saw some of the pictures. It sounds like a Ripley's Believe It or Not It thing. does, but it wasn't. Okay, so those are odd. That's from our odd hallway of horrors. <laughs> hallway of horrors. Let's go back to the Pisley. Yeah, Marsha's Hallway of Horrors. <laughs> Okay. Uh, all right. Let's go back to history, okay? okay? Okay, good. Okay. How could you call Yale University the home of the petroleum industry? The money they got was from an oil guy no. who started up. No. A Yale is the place where the petroleum industry was born. Ah. So let me tell you. Uh, please. At Yale University, the first fractional distillation of crude petroleum was done. Huh. 38-year-old Yale chemistry professor Benjamin Silliman did it while analyzing a sample of the Pennsylvania rock oil, as crude oil was called. He did it for 33-year-old George Henry Bissell, who founded the Pennsylvania Rock Oil Company of New York. 
So uh, you can thank Yale University oh, I will. I'll, for all the pollution we have then, I'll, can't I'll, you? I'll give them a call later. <laughs> Bet you never heard of the Hikamori people living in Japan. No, uh, Let no. me spell it because I'm sure I slaughtered it. H-K-I-K-O-M-O-R-I. Actually, there are people like this all over the world. They are modern-day hermits who live as recluses and withdraw from all social contact and don't often leave their houses for years. Wow. One study shows that so many people do this because in Japan there's intense pressure to follow the rules and succeed, and and uh, it's just too much. So this is not an indigenous uh, ethnic no. group no, or I something? No, I thought it was. I was reading about them, and it's, just, it's, it's a type of person. Marcia, we spoke recently of eating at the oldest restaurant in the world, the oldest continuously used restaurant in the world, uh-huh. a kitchen that began as a monastery in Austria around 800 AD. Mm-hmm. But did you know there is a restaurant in Japan that's been in the same family for 25 generations? Oh, Lord, really? In Japan? Yeah. It's called Ichimonjiya Wasuki, and it's a Japanese sweets shop in Kyoto, uh-huh. and uh, it's been in business since 970 A.D. Wow. Or 970 of the current era. Yeah, Ichimonjiya Wasuki, Japan's oldest confectioner. They've been in operation continuously for more than a 1,000 years. The business was passed down for 25 generations in the same family and listened to their specialty. It's aburi mochi, warm, sticky rice cakes on sticks. Okay. And the mochi, or pounded rice, is skewered and grilled over charcoal, then doused in a sweet miso sauce. It sounds great, actually. And if you go there, be careful. You might make a mistake. Their longtime rival is just across the street. They've been in business for 400 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, let's move on. What's the difference between theater ending in E-R and theater ending in R-E? That's just a spelling from England is theater. Uh-huh. That's right. It's hmm. just Noah Webster. Oh, the dictionary guy. Yeah. Yeah. Noah Webster, he had a never-ending attempt to try to get rid of Britishisms, he called them. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> he was always trying to fix it, so it was more American. And so, you know, he changed words like we know color. He took the U out of color. The C-O-L-O-U-R. Yeah. Okay, took yeah. Took the U out of there. He thought it was superfluous. It is. It's not necessary. Plow and honor. <laughs> those are two words that had O-U in oh, it. That's right. Of course, not all of his <laughs> suggestions caught on. He did try to convince us Americans that the words tongue and women should be spelled tongue, T-U-N-G, and women, W-I-M-M-E-N. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody bought it. So women. It didn't work. <laughs> I like that spelling. That's good. So that's how Americans talk. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's it for today. We just want to remind everyone, if they'd like to join us on the web, they can come to our site at theofframp.show. Back to Robert P. Rickman. Thanks for letting us share some off-ramp trivia for you today. Okay, Boomer. Thank you very much, Bob. That was Bob and Marcia Smith in Wisconsin exercising their minds with brain teasers. Now, down here in our region, there is an organization called Southern Illinois Learning in Retirement, which is taught through Southern Illinois University. Now, some of the recent course topics were American cinema, technology, history of the English language, birds of Southern Illinois, world religions, Middle East society, archaeology, polarization, the primaries, and the pole. Kay Ripplemeyer is a member of the Southern Illinois Learning and Retirement, and I talked with her about her organization, where she came from, and how SIU influences rural Southern Illinois. 
there's classes in whatever uh, people are interested in teaching. So I get the um, schedule every season and find a variety of all sorts of classes. A lot of people are retired professors, uh, but not all. And there's something that they want to teach. Could you give me an example off the top of your head of some of the things that are being taught? Oh, I just took two classes back to back this fall. Um, the first one was by retired professor of history, um, Kay Carr. And uh, what a, a treat we had with her. She, she taught about the American colonial history before the revolution. And it was just fascinating and wonderful. I think we had five classes, so they met for two hours once a week. Um, but And then she was so generous. I mean, she had uh, slides uh, that gave us statistics and photographs, uh, suggestions for primary documents. And uh, she said, I'll just get, give me your email and I'll just send these to you so you didn't have to take such notes. It was wonderful. And then right after that, back to back, John Jackson uh, taught a class in the midterm elections. So we had three classes, I think it was before the election, a class on election day morning and a class afterwards. So he prepared us for, it, it was a mixture of the national election and then Illinois politics and how that fit into the national uh, scope of things. Oh, it was wonderful. It was great. Now, do you have uh, seniors requesting courses? Yeah, there probably are some. I mean, people have asked me to teach again. I taught a class. I gave one short class. I think it was either just one or two sessions on the Civilian Conservation Corps in Southern Illinois. But the class I taught for the five weeks was Southern Illinois history. And um, then they asked me to give the, um, uh, the yearly talk about uh, the Civilian Conservation Corps in Jackson County and uh, specifically Giant City State Park. So this is uh, intellectual enterprises. Oh, I think there's not so many. I, I don't know. I think there's some that are just fun. Uh, oh, there's been classes on film. Um, uh, and I've seen some that aren't, aren't that intellectual at all. And, um, but I, I just haven't taken them. Now, your background, you grew up on a farm. I did. Now, is this in southern Illinois? Yes, in Mon oh. Monroe County. Okay, you are a Southern Illinois farm girl in Monroe County, and you went to the U of I, and then you went to SIU, and what, it, what degree did you get here at SIU? I got a master's degree in literature, and then I did all the uh, work toward a PhD in American culture, except I didn't write a dissertation. I had four children, and I got divorced, so I had to work. Um, so I, uh, I, instead I wrote books afterwards that could be, I suppose, a dissertation, but it, you know, I didn't want to leave Southern Illinois, and so I wasn't seeking uh, to get a degree, to get a job somewhere else, and I wouldn't leave 
to get my PhD somewhere else. Um, I wanted to just stay here and study and make Southern Illinois what I wanted to know about and write about. So the one book is about the creation of the Shawnee Forest and through the CCC, and the other is the creation of Giant City State Park. Now, I mentioned you before. I uh, lived in California, Arizona, mm -hmm. Iowa, uh, a short time in Ohio, uh, Michigan, and I spent about 22 years in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've never been any place like Southern Illinois in my life. And, you know, you, you came from a farm. You're a Southern Illinoisan. You got everything prepared to get your Ph.D. I don't see that in any other area of the country. You have this type of vast influence from this university. Yeah, um, this was a vibrant school uh, for a lot of people. and But then they came and they didn't want to leave the area. I talked to a lot of my friends are that way. The community of people that came of age, I'd say, you know, in their 20s, when you fall in love with a place, maybe get married, um, is just really endearing. There's a whole lot of us baby boomers who uh, have made a tight community. You know, we, we went through things here together. Now this school, when Delight Morris took over, was about 3,000 students and the campus was a square block. Uh, and then by the time I got here in 1970, you, you could walk from one, one dormitory, uh, Schneider Tower, to the communications building, and it was a mile walk. How much do you think, when this little university was in existence since the uh, 1870s, until when Delight Morris came in 1947, how much influence has SIU had on the Southern Illinois community since Morris arrived and after he left? Well, huge. Huge, it, you know, it built Carbondale. Um, Murfreesboro used to be a larger town than Carbondale. Um, Carbondale got the university and Morris did a great job in uh, combining what this region needed and what uh, the university was teaching. Um, there was a meld, you know, that was our university, I mean, for everyone who lived around. Um, and then, Gradually, Carbondale became the place people would come to shop, and Carbondale came to be the cool place, you know. And um, the, the people who come to learning in retirement, I wish these questions would be posed to them and have um, a, like a moderated question-answer discussion because each of the stories of the baby boomers is different. Of course, we all went through same events but saw it differently. I think that would be an interesting, and it would be a good class to do that. And I'd attend the class with a microphone. <laughs> yeah. What I have noticed is that you have the uh, what used to be the Illinois Central, and I would ride the train down here and then back up to the Chicago area. But then the, the university or the town, the town of Carbondale, would double in size when the university was in session. So you have this itty-bitty little town with what turned out to be, at the time, the 24th largest university in the country. That is unusual, is it not? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have this outsized university for the region, and a lot of the people attending the university weren't from southern Illinois. 
Well, and it annoyed some of them after a time. They wanted uh, Carbondale to give them the same uh, amenities that Chicago did, for example. And um, that, that's not where they were, and that's not what we were good at. That was Kay Ripplemeyer, a member of Southern Illinois Learning in Retirement. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. No, not that one. The President of the United States in 1964. Mr. President, we are honored for this opportunity to visit with you in the midst of your normally busy day in the White House. I am hopeful that the visit will be uh, helpful. First, may we extend our congratulations, although it was months ago, on your thundering election victory to the presidency. This will be for a new seven-year term. <laughs> uh, we'll go right on with the questioning now to Mr. Swayze. Uh, Mr. President, as a continuing example of your policies, who in the years to come will be guarding our eastern coast against Russian submarines? 35 Cuban fishermen. Mr. Van Vory. Mr. President, Mr. President, we understand that you are contemplating some changes in the income tax law for next year. That's what we propose to do. And if your changes go through, sir, how much of our net salary will we be able to keep? One-tenth of one percent. <laughs> And where will we be mailing our income tax checks? The President, the White House. <laughs> Mr. St. Badger. Sir, Vice Presidents are becoming more and more important. And I think they should. Would you say that Hubert Humphrey has been a good Vice President? Yesterday was quite encouraging. <laughs> uh, sir, your, your middle name is known the world over. Could you tell us what Mr. Humphrey's middle name is? <laughs> okay, Boomer. And that wraps up OK Boomer for this week. Have a very good rest of the week. I'm Robert Rickman. It's 11 o'clock at WDBX Carbondale.